What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. I certainly appreciate each and every one of you. I pray for you all daily. To kick off today, I thought I might do a little bit of promotion for what's going to be coming up in the new year. We're going to be doing a one-year through the Bible reading program, and we would love to have you participate in that. What it is going to entail is obviously one year through the Bible. We're going to read from the Old Testament and the New Testament Monday through Friday. On Saturdays, we're going to have a reading from Proverbs and Psalms. On Sunday, each Sunday, every week, we're going to have a memory verse, and then I'm going to do the regular podcast, and it's going to come uh, from the passage of that verse. So something to look forward to. We'll have a download for that available, I believe. Um, We're doing books for people who may be a little more local, a little study guide to follow along with devotional material. Uh, just a brief overview, devotion, maybe a question to meditate on for the day. But I'll be putting that out each day. I'll actually be doing the reading. Um, it should be fun to listen to me try to pronounce some of those Old Testament names. But I'd love to have you come along with us on that. It'd be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a ton of work, so pray for me for that. I'd certainly appreciate that. But certainly something to look forward to. On to our topic for today. Um, When someone in my position talks about money being a pastor, there are often eye rolls and a here we go again attitude and people kind of tend to tune out at times. Uh, That can be enhanced by the fact that my sustenance personally is reliant on what people give. Uh, My, you know, my whole income is reliant on the generosity of others. And I kind of, you know, I do understand where that attitude comes from, the eye rolls and the, oh, here we go again. You know, they only talk about money, stuff like that, which is not true. I mean, I talk about money less than I should. But there are certainly, on the other hand, some charlatans who have given pastors a bad name. And those knucklehead charlatans tend to be what sticks in people's mind, people's mind. And the reality is, though, that there are charlatans in every walk of life. It doesn't matter what business you look at community groups, it really doesn't matter. And if we hear of one dishonest mechanic, it doesn't mean that we should stop changing the oil in our car or we hear of a doctor that, uh, you know, did some things that he shouldn't have done. It doesn't mean we stop taking care of ourselves and, and visiting the doctor. That would not be very smart. And neither does it mean that all mechanics or doctors are dishonest. And I believe Part of where that reaction comes from, well, it's two things, I suppose. One of them is a lack of understanding of Christian generosity, giving, and the discipline of sacrificial giving. And that's what we're talking about today. And also, secondly, um, sometimes I think we're just selfish and don't want to do it. So we use uh, the occasional charlatan as an excuse not to. And sometimes I think people use the charlatans that have uh, leveraged Christianity for their own benefit as an excuse to write off Christianity in general, which is not a very smart thing to do. Uh, There's a lot more depth to it than the few charlatans. 
Western culture is traditionally obsessed with money and material possessions, is what we are. Um, culture tends to default to the idea that accumulation of finance and possessions brings security, joy, peace, and contentment. We spend a large portion of our lives working and saving and investing so we can retire and do whatever it is we want to do. But it really does, culture, tend to default to the idea that we find contentment, joy, and peace in finance and possessions. problem with that is it's a secular doctrine that's ultimately false and very disappointing. Even though it seems very counterintuitive, as many things in Scripture do, we find contentment, joy, and peace not through accumulation, but through sacrifice. And I find hope in the fact, personally, I see a, a, maybe a resurgence of understanding among some younger people, especially younger men who are becoming more and more aware of that, that you know, life doesn't find its abundance in possessions. And if you're willing to listen to and apply what we're going to talk about today, it, it'll change your life. It will. Now, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to start. We're going to read from verses 14 through 23. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to follow along or just chill out and listen. We are reading from the MEV or Modern English Version. That's the version I normally use. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. This is what Paul writes to the Philippians. He says, Nevertheless, you did well, having shared in my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessity. Not because I desired a gift, but I desire fruit that accumulates to your account. But I have everything in a bound. I've been filled having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you like a sweet fragrance and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply your every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you all. Amen. So there we have it. Uh, Philippians chapter four, uh, Paul writing to the Philippians, talking about how they've helped him out in ministry. I've mentioned our culture is traditionally obsessed with the accumulation of finance and material possessions. And I think that it seems like the more wealthy we get, the more that becomes the case. But there, there's also the other side of that. And I think maybe the popularity of this is beginning to wane again a little bit, but there was a kind of this upsurge of popularity of the idea of minimalism. And there was a push towards that over materialism. And you can see that, you know, in the Instagram van lifer uh, lifestyle or the tiny house lifestyle, things like that. But I think the enthusiasm for those things um, is beginning to wane because they're just too impractical long-term. I mean, you can't live in a van your whole life or a tiny house. You start having kids and things like that. And you think, well, this just isn't going to work anymore. So yeah, the popularity of that is is starting to fade a little bit. That's just my opinion, but that's what I see. But whether it be materialism or minimalism, 
They're somewhat similar because they involve working towards more financial independence and seeking peace and joy and contentment and either having more or having less. I'm going to accumulate enough stuff that um, I'm going to be happy or I'm going to you know, cut enough junk out of my life that I feel happy. It's, it's, it's a very similar thing. It's, it's like the two sides of the same coin, but unfortunately, neither one of those will serve you well as a source of peace, joy, or contentment. One of the very deceptive consequences of seeking contentment and comfort in those areas as a Christian, which many Christians do, we may not admit it, but a lot of us do that. You may be one of them. I suppose sometimes I am as well. And one of the problems with seeing things like that is that we begin to see God as someone whose job it is to provide us with blessings and make us feel good, give us the things we want to make us comfortable and content and happy. The problem with that, though, is that's not Christianity. That's hedonistic paganism. The major deception of that mentality is that we begin to see God as being the one who's serving us rather than us serving him. You know, He's the bellboy. He's the genie in the bottle. He's the cosmic vending machine. You put in a prayer or invest and you give and you'll get a blessing or you give money to God and he gives you more back, that kind of mentality. And, and that's just not how things work. Imagine you have a friend and every phone call goes something like this. Hey, Bob, you know, as you say your friend's Bob, sorry if your name's Bob. Hey, Bob, I've got a hole in my roof. Can you fix it? I'd appreciate it if you got that done soon. Thanks. Hey, Bob, my kid's in trouble at school. Can you take care of that for me? Click. Hey, Bob, can you give me 500 bucks? No, I can't pay it back. I got a big bill and I don't have the money to pay you back. Or, hey, Bob, I need to borrow your car. No, no, I can't pick it up. I need you to bring it here. No, I don't know how you'll get home. That's not really my problem. I just need to use your car. Now, if you have a friend and you treat him like that, is that going to be a good friendship? Well, of course not. I'm going to ask you to be very honest with yourself. Think about this for a moment. Give it a little bit of time to roll around in your mind. How many times have you sought God in prayer with that same mentality? God, I need you to fix this. God, I need you to give me that. God, I need you to do this for me so I can be content, at peace, and find joy. We all do that at times. But... The purpose of prayer is not to tell God what he needs to do or tell him what he needs to give us or what he needs to fix. The purpose of prayer is to commune with God. It's our opportunity to speak with our creator and to know him more and to worship him, which is the purpose of the Christian life. Do you remember when one of the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray? This is what he said, what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. He was praying in a certain place, and when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you look at that prayer, what Jesus is doing is 
He's given us a model prayer. It's an outline for prayer. And you see where the focus is. Prayer begins with recognizing who God is and where he is. Our Father in heaven, prayer begins that way. Your name is holy. We desire that you rule in our lives, that we serve you. Your will is the highest and best. And we desire that your will is preeminent in all things. Forgive us when we fail at that and lead us in your will. That's a very basic summation of what Jesus is saying prayer is right there. And yes, of course, there is a place for requests to be made in prayer. And that request is, Lord, please give us what we need to do those things, the things we need to serve you. And we know as we read the Bible that our purpose is to worship and serve God. That's really what we're here for. And if we take that seriously, if we take that seriously, that will mean at some point stepping outside of ourselves in a way that is going to make us uncomfortable. And that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with comfort, but comfort shouldn't be sought as a source of contentment, peace, and joy. Neither should it be something we aren't willing to set aside to serve God. Now, the question you could ask might be, what's going to happen if I take my relationship with God seriously enough that I am willing to engage in or do something that makes me uncomfortable, something that's going to stretch me outside of my comfort zone? What happens when we begin to understand that being a Christian means serving God in a sacrificial way, and then we act on that? What's that going to look like? Well, our topic today is one that makes people very uncomfortable. I've known some people personally who had the courage to go out and do street evangelism, preach on a corner, carry on like that, but they wouldn't do this. They would not practice the discipline of sacrificial giving. When we look at the church at Philippi, one of the things we learn is that they were generous to the point that it cost them something. They were generous to the point that they lived differently because of their generosity. And that is sacrificial generosity. It changes the way you live. Verse 14 and 15 say, Nevertheless, you did well having shared in my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessity. So the Philippians had helped Paul out multiple times through the discipline of sacrificial giving. And they were doing something more than, you know, just dropping a dollar in the plate on Sunday, dropping a cold coin in a can um, after they'd already paid all of their bills. They were practicing a spiritual discipline. And there are many spiritual disciplines. The list is longer or shorter depending on who you ask. But there's prayer, there's solitude, there's fasting, there's evangelism, to name a few. Uh, a couple of others are stewardship and sacrifice. Um, some lists contain uh, simplicity, which is and what we're talking about today would fall under those things. Stewardship, sacrifice, simplicity. Um, the point of practicing different disciplines is that they will make you stronger spiritually and they will change your life for the better. Um, my son, Samuel, he owns a business. He's a sport and exercise scientist. He, he runs the Shape Up Shop. You can check it out on Instagram. Give him a little plug, the Shape Up Shop. But he 
um, helps people achieve their fitness goals. That's really what he does. He coaches them, walks them through them, helps them with diet, fitness, things like that. And he's constantly putting out social media content like I am. And one of the things he talks about often is discipline. If you are going to grow and accomplish, get better, do better, it requires discipline. You kind of, you, well, you kind of, you have to make the choice to do those things and then discipline yourself to do them. So a discipline, physical or spiritual discipline, we're concentrating on the spiritual discipline, they change your life for the better. And whatever the discipline is, if it doesn't change the way you live, you're not practicing a discipline. You're just giving a lip service. Discipline, you know, by definition is going to be life-changing. Discipline is taking charge of what you do. It's you taking charge of yourself. It's putting boundaries around yourself. Oh, you know, you discipline yourself to do some things. You keep yourself from some other things. Discipline is ruling your time, your resources, and desires. Not your time, desires, and resources ruling you. Discipline is also sacrificing the present, the immediate, for the sake of the future. Sacrificial giving is a discipline that if you choose to practice it, it will change the way you live. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about this. And he says, moreover, brothers, we want you to experience the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. In verse 2, how in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty overflowed towards the riches of their generous giving. Now, the Philippians were that church Paul's talking about. They were one of the churches of Macedonia. You can find that in Acts chapter 16. But Paul is saying the Philippians were generous beyond their ability. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, exactly what that looks like for them, what that means at the time is hard to say, but we just we do know that they supported Paul and his ministry. And we also know that it does certainly mean that how they practiced sacrificial giving changed how they lived. They lived differently because they practiced this discipline. Now, what is it that enables someone to discipline themselves in that way? How do we step over that line? Because we talk about discipline, you know, New Year's, people make all kinds of resolutions, stuff like that. And we come up and we often say, I need to start going to the gym or I need to do this or I need to do that. And it's kind of like walking up to a line and we stand there and we look at the line and we talk about the line, but we don't actually step over the line because we don't discipline ourselves to do those things. We'll get really close to it. But the question is, how do we step over that line? When we read what Paul wrote in... uh to the Corinthians, he says that the Philippians were generous in a way that changed the way they lived. And they did so in an already difficult situation. The Bible says that they gave generously out of deep poverty. And they gave in a way that seemed beyond what they would be able to do. Now, through our modern Western culture, materialistic eyes, that sounds like a recipe for pure misery being poor, and then giving out of poverty. But at the same time, we know that the Philippians experienced an abundance of joy. And it was not an abundance of possessions, nor was it a lack of possessions that brought them joy. Their sacrifice 
was the undeniable catalyst for joy. When a Christian practices the discipline of sacrificial giving, there are a couple of things that happen. In verse 18 in our text, giving is referred to as a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And giving is one way we can we can tangibly make a sacrifice. That's one way we can do that. When you think about it, how can I tangibly make a sacrifice to God? Sacrificial giving. Making sacrifices is something that God's people have all done, always done. You see it all through the Old Testament. And sacrificial giving is something that God's people have always done. When you practice this discipline, you feel like you're doing something that matters. Because I know there are times when people feel like, you know, am am I really doing anything important? Is what I'm doing doesn't matter? Am I really doing anything worthwhile? You know, and we can start to say, why do I even bother doing anything at all? And the discipline of sacrificial giving makes us feel like we are doing something that matters because we are. We're doing several things, but by far, and most importantly, we are making a sacrifice that pleases God. That's where we find peace. That's where we find contentment. That's where we find joy. When we do things that we know please God, it brings a wholeness to our life that we wouldn't have otherwise because we know that we're doing something that matters. Another thing the discipline of sacrificial giving does is it proves that contentment's not found in materialism or minimalism. Many people struggle with finances and wonder if they're going to have enough to get by. You know, I know right now where we live here in Australia, prices on everything have just gone through the roof. It's crazy. Food's expensive. Building materials, all that stuff. It's all out of sight. It's ridiculously expensive. And people wonder, oh, am I going to have enough? And I don't know many people who would say, I make enough money or I have enough stuff or I have everything I want. And when you ask someone how much is enough, regardless of how much they have, it's very likely that the answer will be a little bit more. And that really shows us where seeking contentment, peace, and joy in materialism takes you. It's always a little bit more. It's like a carrot out there that you're constantly chasing that you're never going to catch. We hang on to finances because we tend to associate contentment and even security with money. When we muster up the courage and take that step to practice the discipline of sacrificial giving, what happens is generosity, that that giving, the generosity, breaks the stranglehold that money has on some of us. It shows us that we have enough. It's, it's counterintuitive. It's a little bit like when we talked about uh, the brazen serpent, the bronze serpent in the wilderness, you know, look and live. It's counterintuitive to look at the thing you're afraid of, do the thing you're afraid of, and it actually breaks the hold of that thing on you. And that's the case with sacrificial giving. You know, giving sacrificially will break the stranglehold that money has on you. It's almost like, yeah, like I said, doing what we're afraid of breaks the fear of that thing, which seems very counterintuitive. But the discipline of sacrificial giving proves that God gives us enough and that contentment is not found in how much we have, but it's actually found in sacrifice. 
And I know the saying isn't original with me, but I don't know who said it. And I don't even remember where I heard it the first time, but it's, it's okay to have money as long as money doesn't have you. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy, not at all. But when you make a sacrificial offering to God, it's not because God wants or needs to get your money. It's because he doesn't want your money to get you. And that's one of the reasons God wants us to give. There's actually freedom in giving. Sacrificial giving is a practical discipline that shows us that God is more important than our stuff. We can say we trust God. People say that all the time. But until we do something to prove that, do we really trust God? It's easy to say it, but it takes trusting faith to take that step, especially the first time you do it. But once you've done it, you learn what it's about and you understand what I'm talking about when I say these things. You know, sacrificial giving breaks the hold that money has on you. And the reality is it's not possessions that we want. We might think that, but there's something deeper under that. What we really want is contentment, joy, and peace. And I think once we have that, we recognize that it doesn't come from money. Practicing the discipline of sacrificial giving teaches us that life doesn't consist of the abundance of material possessions. Now, sacrificial giving, that sounds like a pretty heavy word. Sounds may even sound a little bit harsh, but so I want to clarify what I mean by sacrificial giving. It doesn't mean selling everything you have, or it doesn't mean not saving for retirement or spending money on an education or living in the park in a tent or anything like that. Although I could probably live in a tent and be quite happy. That would be more likely along the lines of seeking contentment in minimalism. And that's, like I say, that's the other side of the same coin. And I know tithing is more of an Old Testament principle, 10%, giving away 10% of your income. And I know people hear that number and they're a bit shocked by it. But for anyone who wants to go hard down the road of, well, that's for the Old Testament, not the New Testament. The New Testament teaches everything belongs to God. And Jesus speaks very highly of those who give everything, not just 10%, like the widow who gave two mites. So something to consider. We don't want to be like the Pharisees regarding the amount of giving 10%, either you know, for or against it. We can certainly give more than 10%. But I also think the number of 10% is in scripture for a reason. Sacrificing 10% of your income will, it's going to, it's going to require you to give some things up. And sacrificing 10% of your income will require you to live differently than if you kept it. But at the same time, it's, it's not over, overly burdensome. It's not, it's not an oppressive amount to have to give away or to decide to give away. It might sound like it initially, but it's really not. Um, I think people find that they probably waste that much of their income. I used to do some offshore kayak fishing here on the Gold Coast. And uh, I actually, well, I sold my kayak a while back and I kind of miss getting out on the water. But anyway, I sold it, traded it in for a bandsaw for uh, woodworking equipment. But I'm that itch to go fish never quite goes away. But I was thinking I'd rather have a jet ski, not just a run around cheapo jet ski, but a fishing jet ski set up with all those, you know, bells and whistles, electronics, a dual battery, all that kind of stuff. I could run 50, 60 Ks offshore, be quite comfortable. I could fish for marlin out there off the continental shelf and that would be amazing and have so much fun. But 
unfortunately, a jet ski just isn't in the budget right now. And I was looking just for fun, digging around as, you know, you do occasionally. And I was looking at a brand new jet ski, not a used one, because I don't know, jet skis are a funny thing. You know, I'd be afraid to buy a used one because I've heard so many horror stories about used jet skis and problems with rust and all kinds of things. But yeah, so new jet ski, dual battery system, electronics, all the kit. It'd be pretty expensive. And those things aren't cheap. I did the math and I figured out how to afford those payments and have a little money left over for petrol and insurance. I could have the jet ski and actually use it, afford to use it as well. And all I have to do to have that is stop giving. And I'd be able to buy that jet ski. Now, my life is quite good. I'm very comfortable. I live in a nice home with my family. Uh, very, very comfortable. I live well. And is not having a jet ski a sacrifice? Most people are going to say, no, of course not. Well, maybe it depends on who you ask. But I guess what I'm trying to communicate is that my life is different than it would be if I didn't give. And the discipline of sacrificial giving is going to change things. But probably not as much as you think. I can survive just fine without a jet ski. Like I say, frankly, most people waste 10% of their income anyway. If you're sacrificing it for God, you won't be wasting it and you will find more peace, contentment, and joy in doing so. Nonetheless, that being said, it's a big step. I get that. It's not an easy thing to do at first. It gets easier with time. Some people do it. They've been doing it for years and they're very good at it. Some people actually have a gift for giving. And that's great, you know, that they do. But if you've never done it, it's difficult. And I think the main reason people don't do that, take that step, is simply just because they're afraid of what will happen if they do. You know, am I going to have enough? Am I going to get by? Am I going to have what I want? And then probably if they're if we're perfectly honest with ourselves, we'd probably say, yeah, I'd have enough, but I may not have everything I want. But we don't really have that anyway because we're seeking contentment and joy and peace and money. And it's just like a carrot out there we're never going to catch. But if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't taken that step of practicing the discipline of sacrificial giving and you're standing there looking at the line, how do you step over the line? How do you get over the hurdle? The first thing that'll help us in that is to view it as a means of expressing gratitude for God's grace. In verse 18, Paul talks about a gift as a fragrant sacrifice that's well-pleasing to God. And the Philippians are giving a gift of appreciation. Even though it's small compared to what God's done for them, it pleases God. And the gospel has changed their lives. And they recognize where they were before without the gospel and where they are now because the grace of God has been extended to them through the gospel. They know and recognize that their relationship with God was adversarial. They were an enemy of God before the gospel came to them. Before they knew God's grace, they were living under God's judgment and condemnation on the road to hell. That's just reality. They know that God's treated them much better than they deserve through the gospel. And sacrificial giving is an expression of their gratitude. It's an expression of their gratitude, and it also helps take that message to more people, which is 
you know, the next thing that sacrificial giving will do. It gives us an opportunity to participate in helping others serve, in taking the gospel to the world. And sometimes it can be a challenge to make the connection when we give. Um, we first make a sacrifice to God, and then that sacrifice goes on to support others in serving God, support others in serving ministry. And, you know, it's kind of a topic for a different day, but I really personally have pretty strong feelings about this, and I think I can support it with Scripture as well. And matter of fact, I think I did a podcast on this last year about this same time. Um, Maybe I'll try to dig it up and see if I can find that. Um, See if I can find that podcast. I'll maybe put the number in the description. But the place to practice sacrificial giving is giving to church, giving to who your church. Sometimes when we give, what might seem mundane is more important than we think. You know, like something as simple as paying the electric bill at church, keeping the lights on. That keeps the lights on. It keeps computers plugged in. It keeps sound equipment going. keeps the air con on. keeps webcams running. And then we use those things for worship. We use those things for preaching. We do outreach through live streaming, social media. You know, there's people who give sacrificially here at the church that, you know, are keeping the power on right now as I record this podcast. And sometimes, yeah, the mundane is more important than we might think. And it leads to a multitude of opportunities for prayer, for people coming to church. It even leads to salvations and baptisms of, you know, connected with several people through online outreach and had people come to know Jesus and baptize people that I've connected with through online outreach. And that happens because the electricity bill gets paid. But before that, someone has decided to live differently and give to God sacrificially. And that's how those things happen. And someone might think, well, you know, giving to the church, is that really giving to God? It is. It's different than giving to a charity or something different. And you give to your church. And that's how that's always worked through the Old Testament. Like I said, I went into this in detail in a podcast last year. Um, That's how things have always worked. In the Old Testament, the temple operated on the sacrifices and offerings that were brought to the temple. And that's how it worked. The temple operated on what the people brought as sacrifices. You know, today in church, it's a similar, similar, very, very similar. Church operates on what people bring as sacrifices to God. Electric bill keeps the, the coffee machine on, the fridge running, freezer, all those kinds of things church kitchen, all that stuff. And some people, you know, they invest in these things personally and they they do this and they give sacrificially to God. And even though those things can seem mundane, they are really what helps others serve. And they're the things that uh, perpetuate ministry. And so sacrificial giving, it's when we make a sacrifice to God. When we do that, he will use it for his glory. And when you do so, there'll be people that you meet in heaven who worship, glorify God in heaven who heard the gospel because of the sacrifice that people like you and I make today. And we can do that cheerfully. And the people who understand God's grace extended through the gospel are cheerful givers. And that's partly why the Bible tells us that God loves a cheerful giver because 
cheerful givers get it. They understand what we're talking about. They understand God's grace. They understand where that we find contentment, peace, and joy in him, and that making a sacrifice to him, it sets us free from the struggles of, of being consumed by finance. So sacrificial giving doesn't mean miserable giving. You know, we see that in Philippians. They gave out of their deep poverty, and yet they were joyful. And nobody forces you to be a giver. God doesn't do that. I don't do that. And that's the point of the discipline is you discipline yourself to do it. It's up to you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in nor steal. For your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus says, don't invest in a world that's falling apart. Invest in what's to come. He doesn't mean, you know, don't save for retirement. He doesn't mean don't invest. He doesn't mean, you know, don't buy a home or get an education. He's talking about not letting your money or this world get the better of you. That's why he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's an important thing to understand. You can look at anyone's calendar, you can look at anyone's bank statement, and it will tell you exactly what that person is most concerned about. Because as Jesus says, your heart follows your treasure. You decide where you send that treasure. So in a sense, you decide where your heart's going to be. Jesus says, if you are investing in the kingdom of heaven, that's where your heart's going to be. If you're sacrificing your treasure to God, where's your heart going to be? On the other hand, and I'm sure you know, I've been in this situation in the past. I'm sure some of you are. If you have bad debt that you're paying off, that's where your treasure goes. It feels like that's where your heart at, is at. And that doesn't feel very good. Paul writes to Timothy, who's a pastor. And he tells Timothy, teach your people this. He says, command that they do good, that they be rich in good works, generous, willing to share, and laying up in store for themselves a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of eternal life. The giving that the Philippians practice and that we should practice is a sacrifice that's well-pleasing to God. It glorifies God. It brings contentment, joy, peace. It sets our heart on the right things. That's a lot of benefit. That's why we practice the discipline of sacrificial giving. It changes our lives and shows that we trust God. We, we have nothing to lose in that and everything to gain. Being generous, you know, it's it's... It's not a means of buying your way into heaven, just to say that. Don't think that. That's not what it's about. Um, I'd say if you're a saved believer, you could never give a dime and you're still going to go to heaven if you know Jesus is your Savior. But your life's not going to be near what it could be if you don't practice the discipline of sacrificial giving. It's not about that. Not about buying your way into heaven. It's not about... Investing and getting money back, not at all. It's not about controlling what God does or doesn't do. I know sometimes there's a, I've heard some charlatans talk like that, try to leverage people's emotions to get them to give money, telling them that they're going to get, you know, a whole bunch back on their investment and all that kind of stuff. Okay, that's garbage. Don't listen to any of that stuff. It's not what it's about. One last thing that sacrificial giving does. It proves that we trust God. 
mentioned this a little bit earlier, but God says he will provide everything we need and sacrificial giving shows that we believe him when he says that. We believe that he's going to provide our needs. Do we trust God to provide for our needs? Yes. And we prove that through sacrificial giving. It's one of the ways we do it. You're an autonomous person. You decide whether or not you are going to do that. No one else does that for you. Now, I've heard of this happening at different churches. You know, today we don't we don't pass plate anymore in church. We just COVID kind of shut that down and everything's kind of shifted to online giving and what like whatnot. But I heard this of this thing happening. I've heard I've heard the same story three times from three different people about three different churches. And what happened was that they passed a plate in church and everyone gives and then they count the offering. And it wasn't enough, so they pass the plate again. And they keep doing that until they get whatever they want or whatever they need. And yeah, that's just not a very good idea. We've all seen the charlatan telling people to, you know, give to my ministry and God will bless you for doing so. You give me money and God is going to give you more money back. Okay, that's that's not making a sacrifice. That's getting scammed. The people in that situation who are manipulated by someone like that. They're not autonomous, cheerful givers, giving sacrificially for the glory of God. What's happening there is a charlatan is using their own selfishness to manipulate them. They're not giving as a sacrifice. They're giving to receive. And that's not how it works. And as I think about these you know, different charlatans we've seen on TV over the years. How would you like to be one of those guys and stand before God in judgment? And you're standing there like one of those idiots. And God asks you, what exactly were you doing there? Why were you telling people this? Why were, you know, I know, I know your heart. Why were you stealing from these people? what did you do with all that money? Oh, you bought, you bought a private jet. That's a good way to spend it. But anyway, I would not want to be that guy and have to answer to God for those things. But the reality is, this, the, the truth is that that is far from the reality of the great, great, vast majority of churches and pastors. Trust me, if I was in this for the money, I'd be doing something else. There's easier ways to make money. So now as we talk about this, I want to encourage you that we need to talk about, as we've talked about this discipline of sacrificial giving, I want to give you or encourage you to take an avenue of practical application in that. Um, and I really can't pass the plate here, so that doesn't work anyway. But at the same time, providing an avenue of practical application in sacrificial and cheerful giving is important because I want you to make that step. It really is a big one. And it really does change your life. It's a big step in Christian growth to do so. So I want to encourage you, if you're part of a church, go to your church. And they very likely have online giving. And sign up, make a regular deposit. Set it up as a regular thing. It comes out and... Yeah, make that sacrifice. Go see if you can see if you can get up to that number of 10%. Maybe go beyond it if you can do that. And do that. Now, you know, I'm going to say too that because I want to I want you to have the opportunity to do this. That if you don't have a church because sometimes people they may be floating they're just out there listing whatever and you want to take part in this, you can do it. Go to our church website 
handlingbaptist.com uh, up in the right-hand corner. There's give. And autonomous person, absolutely no obligation. I know somebody's going to take it wrong, but I don't want you to take this the wrong way. It's just an opportunity to make a sacrifice to God, understand the contentment, joy, and peace that comes from that, and also to perpetuate ministry, to perpetuate gospel ministry, because whatever comes into our church, that's what we use it for. It doesn't go anywhere except to that. So I hope that's something that you will take up and practice. And again, remember, it's it's not because God wants your money. He wants you to understand his blessing. He doesn't want your money to get you. He wants you to understand the freedom, the contentment, the joy, and the peace that comes from sacrificial giving. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. 